Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. We are continuing our Earth Month series focused on our planet's climate crisis. Olivia Hicks is my co-host for this series, and this is the second of five shows for Earth Month, April. In our conversations, we aim to give you the facts about where we are with the climate crisis, but also leave you with hope so that you don't become depressed or overwhelmed, but energized to act. Our guests today are from the Iowa Environmental Council. Dr. Brian Campbell is IEC's executive director, as well as the director of sustainability education and partnerships at Central College in Pella. And I believe, I don't know if you're currently still doing that, Brian, or if that's where you came from. That's where I came from. I'm, gotcha. I'm still tying up a few lessons and teaching one course, but, but I'm mostly transitioned to this new role. Okay, very good. And Rehan Amir Rashidi is IEC's clean energy field organizer for the 100% Iowa campaign and an environmental blogger. And you can read some of her blogs on IEC's website. They're very good. Um, but thank you both for joining us today. And thank you, Olivia, for co-hosting this series. One of the things, yeah, one of the things we were just talking about off air is Personally, I would love it if um, we could make the much needed changes through individual independent action, but reality is that we need bold policies to make the real changes to get to where we need to be soon. So that is where an organization like Iowa Environmental Council plays such a key role in helping move those policies forward. So I'm gonna hand it over to Olivia and we'll start the conversation. Yes, so let's start with um, the foundation of talking about climate policy, and that is the key contributing factors. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the key factors contributing to climate change, specifically in Iowa? Yeah, I can talk about that a little bit. So every year the DNR publishes a greenhouse gas inventory for the state, which is a great way to just kind of get that snapshot of what are the different aspects of our economy and our lives that contribute to climate change that produce greenhouse gas emissions. So here in Iowa, the largest piece of that puzzle is actually agriculture. So that includes things like um, emissions directly from cattle, um, as well as, you know, a significant portion of that is from from the way we manage our soils. And so you know, I think people forget sometimes, you know, it's easy to focus on energy, which is a, the another big piece of the puzzle, but, but agriculture, especially here in Iowa is a really important contributor to climate change. Um, so yeah, that's about 30%. Um, buildings are another big contributor. So especially, you know, heating and powering our buildings um, and then power plants. Um, 
you know, we still have a lot of reliance here in Iowa on coal and natural gas. Uh, so fossil fuels that are producing our electricity. And, and then the, another big piece of the puzzle is transportation, you know, so fuels for our, our personal vehicles and for um, commercial vehicles in the state. So that's, that's the, the largest parts of, you know, here in Iowa, what contributes to climate change and each of those sectors, there's things that we can do and that we are doing to help to, to mitigate that. But, but it's a good starting point to understand those, those different sources of greenhouse gas emissions. Right. Very good. So what are some of the key policies that are moving forward that will accomplish some change in these areas? So, I mean, the, the simplest way that I like to talk about this, that lots of people like to talk about this is that, you know, we have, and we see this in Iowa, we have such an opportunity to transition our electricity systems to clean um, carbon-free electricity. So, you know, decarbonizing our electricity is one of the really, really important things that we can do. And we see that all around us, you know, here more so than people in lots of the world. So we see wind turbines, we're increasingly seeing expansion of solar, and, and that allows us to, you know, have a different source of energy that we can use for all these different sectors that we just talked about. So when we decarbonize electricity, then the next stage is really, you know, electrifying as much as we can. So we're seeing, you know, more and more electric vehicles, and that's driven both by just the efficiency and the, you know, quality of those vehicles, as well as policies. Um, but that's a huge step is, you know, shifting our, our transportation to electricity, shifting how we heat buildings, you know, using heat pumps and geothermal instead of, you know, burning fossil fuels in our buildings for heat. Um, so yeah, electrifying everything, decarbonizing electricity. And then, you know, along with that, when we talk about energy, there's so much that we can gain just through energy efficiency as well, you know, not wasting in the first place. And so, I think that's another opportunity where, you know, we've had um, strong energy efficiency policies in the past, and some of that's been scaled back in Iowa, but I think there's real opportunity for creating local jobs and local benefit through, you know, policies that help with things like weatherization, um, you know, upgrades to existing buildings, upgrades to building codes that we can, you know, continue to be more efficient and, you know, waste less energy in the first place. So yes, yeah, some of those things are big, um, you know, policy kind of shifts that have to happen and that already have been happening in terms of how we kind of transition that energy sector and transportation and buildings. And then I think we also know here in Iowa that we can do a lot better at, you know, managing soil health and how we, um, how we can incentivize farmers to not only you know, to produce less emissions, but actually to help with solving climate change, with helping to do what, you know, plants do is drawing carbon out of the atmosphere and sending that into the soil, um, which again, requires some shifts in, you know, policy and incentives to help support farmers to, to do more cover cropping, to do more things that will, um, you know, help to solve climate change, but also have all sorts of great other benefits like improving soil health and water quality. 
Yeah, and I also want to highlight that um, for Iowa in 2019, I believe, um, the electricity generation that came from wind um, was 42%, um, which was higher than coal for the first time. And then in 2020, a report was just released by the um, EIA Energy Information Administration, I believe, um, Inter Energy International Administration, um, that that number has shifted to 60%, which is really high and um, the mm -hmm. highest of, uh, you know, in the country um, for the percentage of electricity um, generation. So we can see, we can definitely see that, you know, we are a wind energy leader and, um, you know, a lot of uh, other policies that are going through the state legislature right now um, I wanted to note a um, bill, it's the state solar tax credit expansion that is hoping to drive investment, um, local investment in solar. Um, currently we are over, I think 150 megawatts of solar and um, throughout the next few years, that number is gonna multiply by 10 to, you know, I, I believe like 1500 megawatts. So um, this solar tax credit bill will help um, pay down the wait list for um, people who are eligible for this tax credit and also expand the cap from 5 million to 10 million to um, not only drive um, utility scale solar, but also small scale solar um, that Brian mentioned um, farmers and local businesses that um, want to see solar in their homes and their buildings, um, you know, and uh, receive state not only savings but also just really help um, to drive down emissions in the state so we definitely um, are hoping to see this bill move forward um, uh, yeah that is one of the things that we are advocating for and also um, asking our supporters to contact their um, house and senate legislatures uh, legislature legislators to um, support this bill so what are some of the challenges inhibiting both the bill that you mentioned and other climate policies in the state? And um, as well, you mentioned farmers. How do you, um, how do you appeal, make climate change policy appealing to a wide variety of communities um, in, across the political spectrum in Iowa? Yeah, I think that as Rehan said, I mean, we actually, you know, are really at the forefront of this and our leaders in Iowa. And, you know, we have seen with the example she gave of wind energy that having good policies, having um, federal and state support to help new industries get off the ground and expand, you know, enables huge job creation, huge local benefit. And so I think we have to look to that example. Um, in part, but I also think as, as she was mentioning, you know, we also have real opportunities to, you know, spread those benefits even more broadly. And so things like solar are far easier to, um, to install at multiple scales. So, you know, wind turbine is hard to have in your, in your rooftop or in your home, depending on where you live. Um, whereas solar can really scale and benefit lots of different people. And so I think, you know, we need policies that can help um, help those benefits be really widespread. Um, and I think that helps generate the kind of support to overcome 
opposition. I mean, I think, um, you know, people, people will speak up if they, they see how these kind of things will, will benefit them. And that's, that's okay. That's part of the, part of what we have to do. Um, so yeah, I think we sometimes see, you know, people who are reluctant to take on new things that without that assurance that there's some, you know, support up front, um, that there's, you know, whether it's a tax credit or, or other kind of guarantees. Um, and that's true for farmers and rural communities as well as urban communities. Um, so yeah, I think making sure that the, the benefits are widespread is a big part of it. And what we try to do is help educate people to understand, you know, how policy can, can help to ensure that, that we have equitable transitions to clean energy in our state. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, also helping people, helping kind of dispel myths that, you know, some of these things are maybe new and unreliable. I mean, I think in response to the recent cold weather we saw in Texas, as well as, you know, in Iowa, there was misinformation being spread about, you know, wind or solar things, you know, that weren't resilient in extreme weather. And I think, you know, we see in Iowa that the opposite is true. There's, you know, there's every reason to trust, um, wind and solar as, as really reliable, um, and, and, and affordable that are, you know, those are the things people care about. And so yeah, I think continuing to help people understand that these, these are, you know, have multiple benefits that they, they don't, they cost less now than, you know, older sources of like fossil fuel, electricity, and they have the kind of reliability that we need. And there's opportunities to continue to expand that, to have, you know, energy storage, to have battery systems that can help make that electricity available, you know, in more of the day and more of the year. Um, but yeah, I think we need, you know, people need to um, support these kind of things. That'll help overcome some of the barriers. I think, you know, elected officials are responsive to their constituents. And so that's part of our role as an organization is to help, help create those connections, help people understand how they can reach out at the state level or the federal level to, you know, get in touch with their legislators, with um, people in, you know, the state in the governor's office or state agencies or, you know, the uh, president and the administration in Washington as well. Very good. So Rayhan, when you tell us about the, and I hope I have this right, the 100% Iowa campaign. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so 100% Iowa is a grassroots project of our energy program that focuses on um, uniting and empowering Iowans to advocate for equitable clean energy transition in the state. Um, we started this in January of 2020. So obviously we came with this, um, you know, like uh, high hopes that, oh, we will go and meet different people across the state um, and sort of educate and also um, provide resources on, you know, how to advocate for clean energy in your um, local communities. Um, we started doing that in January uh, with field organizing and um, we also held some events in person, um, got to meet a lot of people in different communities. We, not, we went out to Eastern Iowa, we went out to um, Ames um, and also the Des Moines Metro. Um, but then after COVID, we had to shift our gears um, to digital organizing. 
And that, that has been, um, you know, pretty exciting um, because we got to uh, find out different ways on how to reach more people who, you know, probably can't, um, you know, can't travel to some of the events that we have in specific communities so we can gather virtually um, and have some of these events. And uh, we had um, some book clubs, sorry, book clubs called Renewable Readers. Um, we also had a sustainably scavenger hunt. Um, we also had, um, well, we still have a networking, virtual networking event called Clean Power Hour that we just started um, this year where we uh, got to meet a few people from different communities, um, different counties um, to learn about, you know, what their sustainability initiatives are. Um, either they're involved with their company or their groups or um, just individually so that, you know, they can meet uh, whoever is in the community who's involved in this um, climate movement. Um, so those are some of the uh, you know, events that we have. And we also focus on uh, local campaigns. I'm not sure if you've heard of 100% Des Moines. Um, that was a local campaign um, where we had a diverse coalition of community members, groups, and uh, local businesses to back a 24-7 carbon-free energy resolution in the state. And that campaign was successful. And, um, uh, we got the city council to adopt uh, adopt a, a resolution in January of this year. So um, that was a campaign um, that a lot of uh, community members and our key partners helped lead. Um, and we are also focusing on um, other cities to hopefully replicate the same resolution or um, you know kind of similar. So we're hoping to provide. Um, you know, some resources, some tools on how to um, empower local communities and uh, community members to take action in their um, cities. And I think you maybe mentioned this, but what is there a certain year or time frame goal for Des Moines or the overall statewide campaign? So for Des Moines, there wasn't a timeline goal. I believe um, it was uh, it was supposed to be yeah. around like two months, and it got stretched out a little to six months. But yeah, Brian, did you want to add? Well, yeah. So the campaign, like most, you know, kind of had to adapt in terms of the timeline of the community and community leaders, but. What we were excited was that the city of Des Moines um, set a target date of 2035. Um, to have 100% carbon-free electricity uh, 24/7, as Rayhan said, so you know, not relying on coal or other fossil fuel generation, um, even for kind of backup, but to you know, commit to fully transitioning our, our energy grid to carbon-free by 2035, which is the most ambitious um, goal of any city in the country, and and maybe beyond that, we you know, we don't know of other cities that are setting this kind of 24-7 goal. Um, so really exciting to be part of that campaign. And, and like Rehan said, we've had other communities reach out to us to say, you know, we care about climate change. We want to act at the local level as well. And so 
that's one of the exciting shifts that's happening in our work at the Iowa Environmental Council. We've been around since 1995. We've done predominantly, you know, work around clean water and clean energy at the state level and really, you know, focused our attention on state legislature and passing, you know, strong um, environmental bills, working with state agencies. And, you know, we're also seeing increasingly people want to engage with their city council, with their, with their county governments um, to make sure that we can, you know, build that um, grassroots movement as well. And so that's one of the exciting things that this 100% Iowa campaign has helped open up for us is, you know, lots more communities that have reached out and want to do what they can to, to move forward with this energy transition. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to add, um, it's also not just cities. Um, a few campuses have also reached mm -hmm. out to us. Um, universities have been, you know, like these colleges are very important in you know, influencing not just the city, but also um, you know, all the emissions that are you know, produced by these campuses, they are really paying attention to, you know, where they're not just, um, you know, where their electricity comes from, but where do their food come from, you know. Um, so it's been exciting to see campus leaders or college um, leaders reach out to us and, um, you know, wanting to advocate for strong resolutions so that their campuses um, you know, also take part in driving down emissions. Um, so, yeah, and I also wanted to note that 100% Iowa, we have just gained or cultivated us over 6,500 supporters across mm -hmm. Iowa. I just got this um, number this morning. Um, it's been pretty exciting to have um, supporters all across 99 counties in the state. Um, so we're really looking forward to, you know, building connections with um, supporters who want to mobilize their communities and also make, um, you know, effective change in their cities or campuses or whatever organization that they're a part of. And so to our listeners out there, if we can do a shout out to get more supporters, do they just go to your website? Is that how they can become a supporter? Yeah. Um, just head to 100percentiowa.com and there will be ways for you to get involved and just sign up for 100% Iowa. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if people want to see the broader work of the Environmental Council, so it's iaenvironment.org, um, you can read there about we have over 90 member organizations. So we're a broad coalition of environmental groups in the state. And like Rehan said, that includes businesses, it includes nonprofits, school groups. Um, we're really excited as a council to be working at this at the local level to have great partnerships with young leaders. Um, you know, we've seen in lots of communities, it's um, not just college students like Rayhan mentioned, but you know, middle school and high school students um, who have really stepped up and gotten involved, um, not just at their schools, but in their, you know, in their city governments and advocating for climate change. And this is something we're seeing all over the world is young people and people of color are, are really 
um, at the forefront of this movement. And that is part of what's happening here in Iowa as well. And so we've really made an effort as an organization to, you know, to help empower and elevate the voices of young people to increasingly, you know, partner with organizations that are led by and focused on the, you know, the needs of people of color in the state, um, you know, really thinking about equity and justice as part of this work um, for people of all different ages and backgrounds. And, and that's a really exciting and important shift because I think, you know, we know it takes a broad movement to, to make any kind of change. And I think that's certainly true with, you know, how we respond to climate change as well. And so, it's exciting to be part of such a broad coalition and we would, we would welcome, you know, individuals, organizations, businesses who are interested in being part of this work to, to join us and to let us know how we can support the work you're doing as well. I think we're, you know, really committed to being in partnership as, as a way to, to help solve these problems. Right. Right. Well, and one more thing, if you are, because contacting your local legislators is, is key to some of these things. You are a great resource for that as well. So go to IEC's website to learn what bills, you know, you guys put out notices on what bills are coming up for vote and, and the timeliness of all of that. So, so that's, again, important work. Yeah. yeah, you can sign up on our website for action alerts. You know, so we try to make it easy for you to know the details of what is this tax credit that you say I should be for or against, to, yeah. you know, help you um, figure out who you can contact. Um, and I think, you know, Lene, you started by talking about, you know, it takes these kind of policy shifts, not just individual actions to, to solve a problem this of this scope, right? We know that it, it requires collective action, but, but that it is, a, you know, there are lots of little things we can do, um, in our day-to-day lives and, you know, contacting elected officials is one of those things. But I think, you know, we need those little daily doses of hope to feel like, you know, it's none of it is enough on its own individually, but to feel like we can be part of something bigger. And sometimes that is just those little daily things that we do that sometimes feel like a drop in the bucket, but I think are really important to kind of sustaining us and sustaining the work that we're trying to do together and helping us make new connections with new people and, and organizations. So, so yeah, I think it has to be kind of that both and, but, but um, we try to make some of that easy for people and we have trainings that you can sign up for online to learn about how to, to do that advocacy even better and more efficiently in your busy life. Right. Right. All right. So lightning round, Rayhan in, 30 seconds or less, what would you want to leave with our listeners today to, to give them that hope? And then also we're kind of doing a book club this month. I have to plug into IEC's book club. Um, but what is a book that has resonated with you? So is a lightning round, sorry, is a lightning round of answering both questions? Yes, it's a twofold question. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, I'm probably slowing this lightning round. Um, so I would say, um, that everyone has a role to play in terms of moving climate action forward. And, um, you know, we are here to help in terms of finding ways on how you understand decision-making processes and also how to get involved in those, um, processes. So, 
um, really understanding that you have a important part to play and um, making sure that you intervene um, and contribute or um, making sure that your needs are met or uh, voicing your concerns. So I guess that's kind of my, you know, words of wisdom, even though that wasn't properly conveyed. <laughs> um, and also I'd add that my environmental book um, is The World of Three Zeros by Muhammad Yunus. Um, he is a Nobel Peace Prize winner um, from Bangladesh and he is, uh, he, in that book, he really emphasizes on how um, poverty is um, ingrained, um, how poverty intersects with environmental and climate issues, um, and how we can lift up communities on um, making sure that they uh, have resources and tools to be able to uplift themselves and their communities. Um, while also combating, um, you know, self-poverty, community poverty, and also um, the climate crisis, um, making sure that um, they uh, uplift their environment. So, yeah. Very good. Thank you. We'll post these up on the website afterwards too. So, Brian. Yeah, and maybe I'll start with a book um, and then share some wisdom. Um, so one of the things I thought of, given your focus on climate change this month, is a book called Drawdown. And this is part of a, a broader project. So you can visit drawdown.org. And what they've done is um, done some quantitative analysis you know, on what are the top about 80 climate solutions, things that already exist. These are not you know, far out technologies that we are hoping will work out in the future. These are things that we already, um, we already know and understand and are viable and they they model out you know how can we scale these things up around the world and what are the things that make the most impact and part of what i love about the book it also has amazing pictures on the website and in the book but you know there are things that people would would think of perhaps um, you know things like wind power you know onshore and offshore wind things like solar and electric vehicles, some of what we mentioned today, that they also really make a point, you know, of including things that are long-term changes in, uh, in society. So things like education for women and girls around the world and what a, what a profound difference that makes. Um, kind of like Rehan was saying about, you know, the connections between poverty and, and climate issues that, you know, when we lift up communities, especially women and girls, that that is transformative for the economies, for, you know, the, the lives of families. And um, so, yeah, I love how the book, you know, kind of weaves together these, you know, kind of techie solutions, um, changes in how we use our land, changes in how we organize society, and and just gives that sense of hope of this is possible. We just have to you know, really commit to to some big transformations, but things that have lots of of co benefits. In addition to, you know, drawing down greenhouse gas emissions, they can really help to transform our society in lots of other positive ways. And I think that's you know part of my how I try to think about this in terms of my what wisdom I have is, um, you know, do the things that that makes sense in your life, you know, start with the things you can 
And like anything, you know, try, try to stretch yourself into new areas and, and that takes practice just like anything else. So, you know, we were talking about uh, getting engaged in your local community. Um, You know, now more than ever, it's pretty easy to log in and attend a city council meeting without having to, you know, worry about if you're going to be dressed right, or if you're going to get asked to speak. Um, you know, I think there's lots of ways you can connect with different organizations and groups locally and start um, practicing those kind of advocacy and civic engagement skills. Um, because what we saw in our experience here in Des Moines, you know, is if there are enough people who speak up and, you know, are committed to a common set of values, um, our city leaders really respond to that. Uh, and, you know, that citizens can commit to, you know, this really ambitious climate goal together. And there's a lot of work to do beyond passing a resolution. And so, you know, we have to keep practicing um, working together and, you know, engaging with elected officials and, and keep that accountability and, and keep that, that vision alive. But I think it starts with that day-to-day, just, you know, doing one thing, stretching yourself, practicing, developing that confidence and that sense of, you know, hope that um, together we can, we can do this. Yes. Well said. Well, thank you both for joining us. And thank you, Olivia, for your insight in this series. Thank you all. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Lene. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Of course. And just a reminder that you can go to yourgreenportal.com to, to get the podcast and blog that will follow from the show. Tune in next week as we continue this series. And until then, stay healthy, stay safe. And thanks for listening. Do your one thing, as Brian said. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.